All right, we are in Titus 1. If you look at the top of your note page, you can see all I've got there is verse 7. And uh, I fear we will not even get... Okay, we'll probably get through verse 7. But we're not going to get through all of the uh, requirements or the character traits of, uh, of an elder. I don't, I don't want to blow through these. Um, I don't want to blow through them because they're important. I don't want to blow through them be, for the same reason we didn't blow through them a number of years ago when we taught on what an elder is supposed to be. But even more than that, as we look at God's expectation for the elders in the church, I hope, I hope that we don't go, oh, that's what he's supposed to be. No, that's what we are supposed to be. These are good qualities of a believer, for a believer. And so if I expect them of my elders in the church, really these should be things we are uh, aspiring after. Uh, Here's my, my cubist diagram of the Mediterranean region. You can probably look in the little map in the back of your book. Just to, I just, it's, it's helpful for me anyway, maybe just a goober, uh, to know where these things are taking place. Jerusalem, way over here on the far east side of the Mediterranean, in little bitty, itty bitty Israel. Really, you look at the scope of Asia, and Israel is really quite small. It's very small, you know, 30 miles wide, at points, it's 30 miles from here to Lawton. So, you drive across the country. Antioch, 300 miles to the north, where they were first known as Christians. That's where Paul and Barnabas uh, had a great work. And it's from Antioch that they were sent out into Asia. And the first missionary journey went across to the island of Cyprus and then into Asia Minor, uh, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, a little triangle of communities right there they went through and that's where Paul was stoned seeing that as the gospel gets spread there are going to be those who are hostile to the gospel Um, after the first missionary journey they pressed back after some time back over here on the second missionary journey and it took them across into western Turkey Asia Minor Ephesus uh, there and they got the Macedonian call uh, went up to Troy, you know, we call it Troy, Troas, uh, there up north of Ephesus, and came across uh, to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Paul actually makes his way down to Athens and Corinth down there in the southern part of Greece. Okay, makes his way back across. I mean, he like, he touches Antioch and then goes right back out. The, 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 if, if you're reading in Acts, the, first, the second missionary journey and the third missionary journey are separated by nothing. It's like he, he just hooks a Yui when he gets back. How much time did he spend back here encouraging, exhorting? We don't know. But he goes back out on the second missionary journey and the gospel opens up hugely in Ephesus. He spends two years in Ephesus now. And this is where we read about that Titus gets sent back to Corinth because they're having issues. Corinth is a church with issues. They're like human beings in the church. So there's problems. 
that's normal. It's really an encouragement uh, to see. Paul ultimately makes it back, meets up with Titus up here in Macedonia. When you hear Macedonia, that's kind of the northern part of what we know as Greek today, Achaia, down to the south. After the third missionary journey, Paul goes back, ultimately ends up in Rome, and sails past Crete. So there's three, there's three kind of primary islands in the Mediterranean when you're looking at a map. You've got Cyprus on the far, and, and that would be in the eastern half of the Mediterranean. You've got Cyprus way on the east. Crete kind of sits at the opening of the Aegean Sea. It's about 125 miles long. At some points, it's only 10 miles wide. It's pretty skinny. And this is, where, this is where Titus is. The other one is Sicily, out here on the toe of Italy. Out there. So this is where we're at here on the island of Crete. Uh, Paul obviously had gotten there as he's telling Timothy to kind of finish the work that they've started here in appointing elders. Uh, last week, as we looked really at our first qualification of elders in verse 6, it is that he is to be above reproach. Unless we think that it is only the elders that are to be above reproach in uh, Paul's letter to First Timothy, uh, or Paul's letter, first letter to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 10, he calls deacons also to be above reproach. So there you go, David and Arnold. And thereby, this should, again, be something we aspire to. Um, the word, we'll be dismantling some of these words. Uh, above reproach, if you, are, if you have anything on your record, okay, uh, that would be you have a reproach against you. You have, you have a mark on your record. Okay, to be above reproach is you don't even have accusations. Okay, that doesn't mean you're perfect. We talked about that. We're going to talk about that here. Perfection is not expected. But big blobs are, are a problem. Big blobs are a problem uh, there. And that's going to kind of carry us into verse 7. Uh, when he starts out in verse 7, and, and we look here at these primary qualifications, we see he uses the different word, and we've talked about this because there are different words for the, the elder here. He calls him an overseer. Does that mean it's a different person? Could be. It could be. Very good. Okay. Why do we not believe he's, he's changed to speaking of somebody different? Yeah, thank you. You know, there's a little, little grammar going on there. There's a connective in there. It is, it, is, it is continuing the flow of thought. So an elder is also, and this is a great word, is supposed to be an overseer. Okay, uh, you remember what the word was for overseer? Think C. What do you see through? A scope. Remember? Episcope. You know, epi, over, you know, the epitome of something. Episcopo. Episcopos. Episcopal. You know, 
the overseer. He is one who is to oversee here. So he also, and again, he's reiterating, he is to be above reproach. How important is this? This is important. Really, all of these qualifications and qualities flow out from this truth. He's supposed to be above reproach. He's supposed to be like this. This is what he is to be like. And what we see here in these primary qualifications, um, well, actually, I've got to back up because I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, we, didn't cut, we didn't finish up verse 6 yet. So let's back up. He is the husband of one wife. He is the husband of one wife. Literally, he is the man of one woman, is, is how it's written. He's the man of one woman. Um, girls are reading through 1 Samuel, and you know, Hannah's husband had another wife as well, but it wasn't indicted that he had two wives. And you know, the Old Testament really doesn't outright prohibit two wives it does not say thou shalt have more than thou shalt not have more than one wife but it is implied in the in the creation well that's what, that's what my daughters were going well what about isn't that kind of adulterous well you know and you can see you can see how the dudes kind of loophole this and how I'm, I'm thankful in the New Testament, they just finally went, quit it, stop it. This is stupid. Do you not see the mess and the chaos of the Old Testament where all of these guys had more than one wife and it was a chocolate mess? So he is to be the man of one woman, which we start to go... What do we what do we wince at them? What if he's been divorced? What if he's a widow? What if he's, if he's a bachelor? He has to be married. Yeah, let's start simple. Let's start simple. Can a man be an elder if he's unmarried? Why is he unmarried? Okay. And, and I, I, will, I will tell you that there are theologians who will run the gamut here. Okay? Will run the gamut here. Paul, at this point in his life, at least at this point in his life, is single. Some would argue that he was married at some point. Okay? He's an apostle. And he's single doing this. Can you be married and be an apostle? Yeah. Yeah. Peter was. You know, Paul runs that argument. You know, can they have a wife and we not? Of course they can. There. Um, I don't believe this negates a single man from being an elder. But if he is married, he should be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. Okay? All right? So, let's, let's, let's stay simple here first. If a, an elder's wife dies, can he remarry? 
Now, oh, it's his second wife, though. Yeah, yeah, after before dinner. <laughs> no. I, I, had a, I had a great friend who always said, you know, I love Patty. I love Patty so much. And uh, but if she died, I'd have to remarry before dinner. He was joking. <laughs> she always hit him. Um, is that okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, that is not what is being discussed here. Uh, again, let's, let's take maturity and let's look at the full picture within Scripture. We see the arguments made that essentially the covenant of marriage ends with death. The widows are encouraged to remarry so as not to be frivolous. Okay? Uh, Paul exhorts those to marry in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, better to marry than to... Yeah. You know, burn with passion. Well, that's not true. Elders don't have those issues. (laughs) Yeah, no. Okay, so we we can kind of dismiss both of those. All right. Divorce. Can a man be an elder if he was divorced? Lord? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. What was the. Great question. Does his wife leave him? Great question. Okay. So let's let's say an elder's wife bolts. Tracy goes, I'm tired of you. And and you guys examine my life and you realize it's not because I was a smudge. Okay. Tracy leaves. Am I free to remarry? You try to work it out with her. Am I free to remarry? Yes. Yeah, she's left, uh, yeah. I, there's there's a, in there where God isn't happy with it, but he lets it he lets certificates of divorce happen because men mash against what is God's desire? Reconciliation. So if my wife divorces me, am I free to start dating? I would say no. I would say my hope and my desire is for reconciliation. I would argue, biblically speaking, if I am going to stand on the word of God until she dies or remarries and people would disagree with me at that point but I would say he is now free she has covenanted with somebody else there is no hope of restoration of that covenant unless he gets hit by a truck and she's now widowed again and decides to come back you try to break there yeah yeah you can start yeah and that that would be that would be I would say that would now be sinful well, and there's a, there's another thing of what happens if someone was divorced before coming to faith. There's another situation. I, you, you meet those those people as well, and it's like we very read, different situation. Good. We read that elders are not supposed. I mean, if I'm a new believer, I shouldn't be an elder. Okay, that's in First Timothy. 
the passage. You know, he, he needs to be mature in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if he was divorced and remarried before coming to Christ, I would say, and again, there are men who would disagree with me, and that, this, is, this is an area where I think it's okay to disagree. But I think scripture is pretty clear that he is a new creation. And now, you know, if he recognizes the inappropriateness of what took place before he was married. And yeah, you know, it's a, it's a regret. It is a regret in his life that this even happened. But now I would say, yes, he can become an elder. <coughs> the problem <coughs> is, you know, if... Why, why were they divorced? Okay, if they are, are believers and they divorced, that's not God's plan. Was he unfaithful? Are there other issues in his life that she would leave for? Or is, is the onus on her shoulders? Again, I think scripture is clear that God's desire is then for reconciliation I think, a separ I think a separation between a husband and wife is valid and good and necessary at times. Not divorce, but a separation. Especially if one of them is essentially in sin and unrepentant of that. But the desire for the man of God in that relationship should be reunion, reunion. Here. Until she makes it as though there will be no reconciliation, then he should hold out hope. Is that hard? Yes. Is that obedient? Yes. that goes back to the above reproach part. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> if there's any unclarity on that, you could go back to the, well, yeah. you got a pretty bad look going on here. You know, the way of the world is going to go, nah, man, she's, she's divorced him. She left him. So he's free. I would say by God's word and God's standard, no, he's not free. He's not free. I would say until she remarries or until she dies. Again, some would disagree with me on the point of remarriage. So this is, this is kind of how I went through looking at this passage with regard to the husband of one wife. Any other comments on this? I've heard that it was culturally that just like the previous divorce that some people could have been in a polygamous relationship before they came to Christ and then joined the church. And then it's like, in that this kind of falls back on even the part where it's like, if they can't handle their household, there's kind of a, a precondition here. It's like, if you got two wives and 20 kids running around, you're, you take care of, you got plenty to take care of in the meantime. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we could, we could, we could set up a, all kinds of what if scenarios and chat about them forever. But I think that gives a good foundation and good understanding of the husband of one wife. Any other thoughts or 
comments before we move on to the next not? Next, next not with a K as opposed to, there's some on the floor also. Okay. This, this is one of those passages where, you know, if you're doing topical preaching in topical Sunday school, you never touch on because you don't want to. His children are believers and not open to charge of debauchery and insubordination. His children are believers. Lots of interpretation, not a translation. <laughs> what's, your trans, what's your translation say? Uh, I mean, I don't, I didn't look, but you can translate it faithfully. You're right. You can. Fifty-three times, fifty-three times. In the New Testament, it's translated faithful. Nine times it's translated believers. Okay, you are faithful or you are believers. can also be translated persuaded. Children are persuaded. The children are faithful. The children are believers. Now, why? <coughs> let's, let's look at this logically here. Why would we go, he can't be talking about the children have to be believers. Give me some reasons you go, that can't be it. Well, I give you one for can. I was thinking, I was looking at it, if you have grown children. Now hang on, let's, you're, we're not there yet. We, we have bore a child. I'm sorry, what? She just bore a child. Yeah, it's a newborn. How long are we going to, uh, you can't be an elder, wait. You're going to have to put that on hold until the children all, you know, make their profession. You go, well, that's silly. It would be nice if you could guarantee what your children Yes. I'm going to go back to my Piper quote. There is only one perfect parent and his children are a mess. The living God is the perfect father. And he's got disobedient children all over the place. That's the way it is. So, um, again, we go to the single man. Can a single man not be an elder because he has no children? Go, well, that's, that's pro it probably doesn't make sense that way. Um, what it, is, is a pastor going to have unbelievers in his congregation who are members of his church? Sure. Probably. Does that nullify him as a pastor? Um, and so, you know, there's a couple arguments you go, okay, well, it, it's, it's really hard to say that that is a believer. Now, let's look at, let's say, let's take that as faithful. His children are faithful and not open to charge of debauchery or insubordination. Okay. Um, what is implied in that? Well, isn't insubordination kind of like disobedience in the army? Like, Well, when, if your dad, it, it's, it goes beyond, insubordination goes beyond that. 
your dad says, uh, Caleb, I'd like you to go clean up your room. And you look at him and go, no. If you curse him to his face and say, no. That would be insubordination. Cosby would say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> yeah. That's insubordination. So what's implied in these verses though? Well behaved. Or behaved. Good parenting. Or a father is running his household. If you can't if you can't manage this situation, if that's out of control, you need to put your attention at home. So he is training his children. His, his, his children have learned through his guidance and the guidance of his bride to walk in a civilized manner. Is that what children will normally do? No. <laughs> now, some, you know, you'll hear the term bent. A child has a bent. Some children are very naturally... Straight line walkers. Yep. And then there are those who are like, they are all over the highway and into the woods. And, you know, there isn't a line on the floor that they are happy to cross. <laughs> You draw it, they'll jump it faster than you can get it completed. Okay? That is because children are different. And it's really frustrating as a parent when the same boys come from your loins and they're different. Go, how can this be? Especially when they look exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> Cookie cutters. <laughs> So, it is, it is imperative that a parent parent. And Eb is exactly right. If a man has a family, you can tell much about how he will serve as an elder by looking at his family. If you looked at a couple of our kids, you'd think we never get disciplined. Yeah, but, but it depends on, are you disciplining them? True. Yeah. I, would like say, I would yeah. say yes. Okay. If you are starved for affection, if, if, you know, then yes. And the children are, I mean, they're boys. Boof! I expect that. I expect that, but I also expect them to hear a voice and to follow after, to understand. They are not just thugs. They're not trying to trip Mary going out the door. Okay, so they, they, know, they know how to behave. The wife is nourished. He has affection for his woman, and you see that. And you see them talking to their children and training and discipling and disciplining their children in the way that they should go. 
And if that man is that way in his family, that is a great character reference. Right there. And so should elders be. But again, so should we all. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as unto the Lord. Man, I get, can, a, can an elder have an unbelieving wife? Whoa. Moving right along. Into uh, verse 7. Okay, we, all, we already talked about uh, the overseer, that he is a steward. This is a great word. So here we are into kind of above reproach part two uh, here in this, in this section. He is an overseer. He is God's steward. Okay. He is God's steward. The word is the manager of the house. Really the, again, it's kind of the, he is literally, he's the church or the house law. He's the house law, the overseer. So, uh, Joseph was essentially the house law over Potiphar's house in Egypt. He was the steward. I think that's an important understanding for a pastor that he is supposed to, an elder, he is supposed to be a steward so that the church doesn't become about him. If the pastor, if the elder be caught in corruption, if the elder suddenly die, the church should continue. You know, it is a, it's, a, it's a great thing to see churches continue after a great man of God leaves the pulpit. You know, you, you think of John MacArthur. You know, what's going to happen to his church? Does anybody ever preach in that church? Does he, I mean, he loves to preach. And no doubt he is training up men. I would think he would be, or that would be a failure on his part. It would be the church of John MacArthur instead of whatever their church is. Okay. John Piper stepped down from Bethlehem you know he's essentially hands off of Bethlehem I'm sure he preaches from time to time but he's no longer the senior pastor there is Bethlehem going to continue it better because he was merely a steward and should have been above reproach we get into a section here of knots we've got we've got some knots and some yeses some things you ought not be as a, a as an elder and these are important um he ought not be what? First one. Arrogant. Arrogant. Any other translations? Self-willed. Self-willed. KJV. NKJV, New American Standard. And I, says what? Not self-willed. Yeah. NIV has overbearing. Not arrogant. Okay. The, the word... Um, the word is, is self-pleasing. You know, if you were to break down the word, self-pleasing. My way prevails. You know, and so he doesn't care, doesn't care about anybody else. It's his way or the highway. 
Why is that not appropriate for an elder? Shouldn't he be authoritative? But it's not his church. You're right. He's just the overseer, so he is carrying out the person's overhead will over the people in the meantime. Should he, should he not speak with authority? Okay. And what does his authority not allow him to do? Burian, yeah, it's a lord and over. You know, he is a, he's a foot washer. He's not arrogant. He is a servant. Arrogant? Hmm. No place for an elder. No place for you. Arrogant. What else ought he not be? Great-tempered. If you back up in that word, the root, you take it back, it gets to coveting. You know, you go, quick-tempered, and how's it get to coveting? I don't get what I want. And so, you know, I want something. We just went through James. You want, you do not have. You want because you ask amiss. That's where wars start within you. I covet something, and I don't get it. And so when things don't go my way, my temper rages I mean what what is this is, is anger sinful no. yeah correct James tells us to be slow to anger slow to anger not quick to anger you know the anger <coughs> If I am angry, it must be a choice to be angry. If it is natural, if it, is, if it just erupts, then I should probably take a step back before I do something rash. Quick-tempered, quick-tempered. An elder ought not be quick-tempered. How about you? What lights you off? Yeah, what, what, what does that? What sets you off? What takes you from calm and tranquil to explosive in 0.93 seconds? What is it? What is it? What is that thing? That's a rhetorical question. Some of us are more apt to go over much less. Others takes a long time before they go that way. But what makes you do that? And why? And 
you know, this is, this is an issue for you and the Lord. Because we ought not be quick-tempered. You can't be. It usually heaps mess upon mess when you are. You got a bigger mess to clean up in the aftermath when we are quick-tempered. No place for the elder. You ought not be a drunkard. Addicted to wine is what the New American Standard says. Given to drunkenness. The word paraoinos is beside wine, with wine. You know, it is, it's like your buddy. You are a drunkard. What is the problem with him if he is a drunkard? No self-control. What if he's quick-tempered? No self-control. What if he's arrogant? No self-control. Is he above reproach? No. Well, I would argue all those is also an idolatry. I mean, normally people aren't going to alcohol because... They're normally going for comfort or escape. They should be going to the Lord, not to something else to flee from the situation. Right. If I need something to wind down, it's a problem. It's a problem. You know, not drunk with wine, but filled with with the Holy Spirit. Controlled. Self-control. Self-control. He should not be violent. Here we go again. Does that point to physical violence mm-hmm. or verbal? Brawler. That's what it means, a brawler. Uh, to strike, to hit. The word means to hit. Why did a pastor have to fight? What was, the, what was the question? Might a pastor have to fight? Out of defense, not a brawl. Yes! There's a big difference between if you're a drunkard who has a problem and you're arrogant and get in verbal battles with people that wind up in fist fights, well then, Excellent. you might be a believer, but you're not qualified to be an elder. Then we need to see some maturity growing, even if that's your disposition. Like we talked about last week. They probably should fight for their faith. Okay, good, good. Different, the whole different thing. Whole different thing. To contend. And there's a way to contend well with grace and truth. We don't function all believers. Yeah. There's a difference between that kind of fight and you Do you punch? Is that what you're saying? No. What I was going to say was, there was this little... So this is, you have to be quiet about this, but there was a girl in my in my CC class in Ohio who I don't know how it came out one day that her dad was a UCF fighter. Mm. And he's a pastor. And Not I kind of past tense, like, like he's he is currently, currently yeah. both. Yeah. And I kinda went and 
another mom in the class was one of the congregants, and she was like, yeah, beating up on the devil. And I'm like, I just, I kind of was like, what? They actually showed us what it was like. You could, I mean, that, you, there, there would be a point of argument. Boxing, the same, same kind of thing. Now, as a, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, if my wife's, if I take her, if I go downtown, walking downtown during the St. Patty's Day parade or whatever, and, you know, with friends and such, and, and my wife gets jumped by somebody, you know, I'm, I'm not going to just, oh, I'm not a fighter. <laughs> Get off my wife, Jamie. Yeah, I hope I hope you would, with all the chivalry within you, stand up for your woman. It doesn't mean you have to pummel him into a bloody mess. Same time, but. Uh, <laughs> I have a hard thing, right? Leave the. Leave the. Leave the. Leave the. Guess what? <laughs> that person. Okay, well, this is why we join the Air Force and not the Marine Corps. The longer you struggle with somebody, the quicker that you might be dead by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting conversation. <laughs> I, I would not. I, I would not recommend just so this is on recording. <laughs> recommend that if you get in a fight that you beat the guy until he's dead. That's. <laughs> It's not the stance of the attack no. household. No. The, the views of some of the... All right. <laughs> moving, moving right along. So he's not quick-tempered. He's not violent. He's not greedy for gain. He's not greedy for gain. Okay? You are in the wrong line of work if money is your aspiration or you are in the wrong denomination. Or sect. I will say sect. So no pyramid scheme? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it also doesn't mean that you can't have money and be a pastor. Absolutely. You know, it's the, whole, the love of money is... I mean, if, if, if I wrote a book and it was a great success, now what do I do? What do I do with the wealth that God gives me? You know, there, there are very few of John Piper's books that you can't just go to desiringgod.org and download a PDF for free. Why? Because he wants you to have the truth. He wants you to have the truth. The dude wears the same sport coat for every mass thing that he ever... It's that tan sport coat. You know, you always see him... A colored shirt and a tie. I mean, he, he, wealth is not the thing. I have enough. I have enough. What do you do with the extra that God gives you? You don't have to give it all away. I mean, you've got children to steward. You've got, you've got, I mean, think of Dave Flink. Jordan's about to head off to college and he's going, Arr. you know, he's going, oh, that, you know, that he would get an inheritance or something to pay for his children's college. You know, and, but if, if money is a thing that weighs on me a lot, man, that's, that's a point of concern. That is a point of concern. 
It's also, it, you know, this is awkward having our, our, our pastor in here, but it is, a, it is a point of concern for the church as well. If we go, our pastor is not getting by and we have the means to bless them so that he doesn't have to take another job that we can provide for him, praise God, that's how it should be. If, if we are a dirt poor church, though, and everybody's already giving sacrificially in their tithes and offerings to the Lord, and he can't make ends meet as a family, he may have to take another job. Or maybe we would have to take another job so that we could ultimately support our pastor. Some things to think about. If that's true, greedy for gain, if that ought not be the heart of a pastor, it ought not be my heart either. Ho ho. Ho ho. Stewardship. He is a steward, and you are a steward. You're a steward over your family. You're a steward over all that God provides you. Even single. Now, you look at all these things, debauchery, insubordination, arrogant, quick-tempered, drunkard, violent, greedy. What's the world think of these things? Yes! This is life! It's my way or the highway. You know, this is, this is how we live. I'm greedy for gain. Um, quick-tempered? Absolutely. Go on Facebook. Read one or two threads. So, briefly, what would the opposites be? So, if, a, if, a, if an elder is not supposed to be arrogant, what should he be? Humble. Great word. He should be humble. Well, I've got to work on my humility. That ain't going to work. We joke about that all the time. The more you try to be humble, you're focused. Am I humble? Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm being humble. Oh, there went my pride meter. Uh, no, humble brag. I'm humble before the Lord. I mean, a, a right relationship with God properly orients that. What's the opposite of being quick-tempered? Okay. Yes, long-suffering, patient. Patient man. I mean, what you're going to find is these are like fruits of the Spirit. Love is patient. Are these naturally occurring things in human beings? No! This, these are indicative of one who has a relationship with the living God. If I'm not a drunkard, I am sober. sober. There's a sobriety to my life. I am temperate. That doesn't mean I'm hot or cold. Temperate. I'm measured. I'm even. It doesn't... There's, there's nothing in here that infers an elder should be a teetotaler. Some have taken that position individually, and that's great. Because there needs to be a sobriety in preaching and teaching. Um, we can talk about that more another time. But he must be temperate. 
there. What's the opposite of violent? Peacemaker. Peaceable, restrained. That's not my go-to. My go-to is not my fist. My desire is for to de-escalate things. To not kick them up a notch. Emerald Lagasse, you know, we're not going to kick it up a notch. We're going to take it down. It's weird, though, you think that a lot of, the way you look at David, just warriors in general, men of God who were also men of the sword, you know, that's usually, you know, if, if you're, that's kind of your first thing, is to de-escalate at first. Yes. You see David with Saul, has Saul laying before his feet twice. And he goes, I can't kill him. You know, he understands God's role in this whole thing. Peaceable, restrained. Greedy. It's the opposite of greedy. Generous. Okay. Could be. What'd you say? Content. Okay. Greedy, content. Okay. Gracious, lavish. Perhaps lavish the other way. I'm a conduit. It comes in, it goes out almost just as fast. So these are the things that we should be. These are the things that we should aspire in our elders. Perhaps these are the things you guys can pray for with regard to Jeremy and I. And for any of you who really desire to walk with the Lord. And maybe to one day aspire to be a deacon or an elder in the church. That's not a bad thing to aspire after. It is a good work. It is a good labor. But these things ought to be true, really, of each of us. And so those are the takeaways. You know, how can a man of God be such a man? Only in Christ. He's, he's got to be a man of God. These things don't happen naturally. Um, these qualities, yes, should be absolutely evident in every one of us. And this is more a tennis ball out there for you to take home. What things hinder these things in your life and in the church. Next week, we're going to look at some of the positives in verse 8 also and really conclude uh, this section on elders. Any, any final thoughts or comments? And just the neat thing about this is these are not prerequisites you just pick up from experience or education. These are all signs of uh, Christian maturity. So these are things that God has developed in someone for a role, which is obviously for our good, for a church, and God placing the right people in there, as opposed to us thinking like, all right, you know, who's the most business savvy? Who's the, How many who's degrees? the best dominant leader? Yeah. You know, like in, in, outside of church, like those, those qualifications, you know, who's the most spirited, all these kind of things. Seminary not required for those. Excellent. I think if we look at roles and, and scripture that 